Amen. Thank you, Peter, for those prayers. And good morning, Community Church. It's good to be with you today. Um, I'm not sure what type of week you've had. I know that we have people in the hospital. We have people in quarantine, in lockdown, people stuck abroad, um, families that are juggling kids now at home for school. It's been quite a week, and we enter this place um, not as people that are above all of the fray, but people right in the midst of it. And we want to welcome you with whatever is on your heart, whatever type of week that you have had. We want you to come in and be refreshed by Jesus this morning. We want you you to experience his presence wherever you might be at. We start this This Is Us series today, and it's really looking at our vision and our values. And today we talk about this primary commandment of loving God. We know the topsy-turviness of the week here, and yet we also know that God is at work. God is with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us, but he goes with us. So we talk about this primary relationship with our God and entering into loving God. And so let's begin with prayer. God, I thank you that we have this time this morning to worship wherever we are today. And we enter into this time, God, and we ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work in and amongst us. Amen. Last week, we talked about God being the first mover in the relationship. We love because he first loved us. Before we even knew who he was, he was journeying towards us. And now we jump into our primary text today from Matthew 22. And the religious leaders are testing Jesus. And this is where we pick it up in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the fairies got the Pharisees got together. Now, so the Sadducees had taken a crack at Jesus, this one group of religious leaders, and he had uh, silenced them. And so the Pharisees are now taking their crack at Jesus by testing him. Verse thirty-five. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question: "Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law?" Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, today we're looking at this first commandment. And next week, The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to unpack what that means. But let's look at this primary one, love God. Now, it's not sort of a threat, right? You better love God or else. It's not given as this obligation. It's not like, look at how much God has done for you. So you better love him. Now, we might say that to our kids, or I've said that to our kids, especially when I'm not feeling appreciated, right? Do you know how much we've done for you? You know, and we might list all of the things that, or some of the things, because we're not sensing their gratitude or their gratefulness, but that's not how God deals with us. We have kind of two choices in this. We can approach our relationship with God as transactional, where God, you have done something for me, so I'm now going to do something for you. Or we can approach it in a transformational way. We receive God's free gift of grace 
his love before we knew him. We can discover that grace and that love. We can live in it. We can realign our lives to follow in that way of Jesus as he transforms us. Now, how many of you have fallen in love? Um, falling, in, falling in love is a journey. I remember um, when I was starting my relationship with Erica and I was quite young, but it was quite consuming, right? I wanted to be with her when we weren't. I would write letters to her. This was before text messaging and we had some long distance in our relationship in terms of geography, but there would be phone calls and it was on my mind all the time. Now it kind of starts out in this infatuation phase, right? But then it grows, hopefully, deeper And our Christian journey can be like that. Initially, there can be this excitement, right? There's so much to learn. There's so much to soak up. But then there's a chance for that to go deeper into those deeper places. And Jesus is saying in this passage, don't just love God in terms of this initial sort of enthusiasm. Don't just love him as a side part of your life, but love him with all of who you are, with your heart, your soul, in your mind, your emotions, your intellect, right? Everything that you have, bring that to him. Now, being all in in a relationship takes time. You have to trust the other person. You have to feel safe. You have to be willing to know that you can completely open up to them And this whole series is really about that. How do we walk with Jesus and be transformed by him? But we also recognize that being all in and loving God is a journey. And it takes step after step after step as God transforms us. But today we want to focus on this initial part of loving God. Last week we talked about meaning and purpose and and what am I here for And part of what I was going to talk about that week, I've brought into this week. And this was a quote I heard in college. What is the main purpose of humankind? And this comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism in 1647. And it was this very question of what is our purpose? Why are we here? And this is the response in that catechism. Humankind's main purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this isn't just some idea out there. These these thoughts, these answers come from scripture itself. In 1 Corinthians, we see Paul say this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, what does it mean to, to glorify God? This is an important part of that equation. We're here to glorify God and to enjoy him. I like this definition here, to glorify God is to recognize God for who he really is and to respond appropriately. So to glorify God is to recognize who he is and to respond. So how do we recognize God? I think the the clearest picture that we get of God is Jesus himself. Jesus in the flesh allows us to see who God really is. Now, I've been reading this book the last couple of weeks and in the opening pages, it says there's only one place in scripture where Jesus talks about his own heart. Only one place. 
ideas on where that is, you can type it into the box. Those of you um, that are on council heard this devotion, part of this on Wednesday, so you can't answer. But where does Jesus talk about his own heart? It took me a minute to think that through. See, we have four gospels on Jesus. We know about his birth, right? We know about his ministry. We know about his death and resurrection. But what do we know about his heart? We actually have just this one um, description of Jesus talking about his own heart. And this is in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus says his heart is both gentle and humble. What does gentle mean? Well, we see a few other uses of this word in the New Testament. Jesus uses it himself when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, the meek will inherit the earth. This word for meek is the same one as gentle. Peter uses this word when he says he had a gentle and quiet spirit. We also get this word humble. In some translations, translated as lowly. Um, We see James saying, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul says in Romans 12, don't associate with the proud, but associate with the lowly. This is all that same word for humble. The point of that humbleness is Jesus is accessible. He's somebody we can approach. He wants us to be able to approach him. So Jesus is tender. He's open He's welcoming, he's accommodating, he's understanding, he's willing. These are words that describe his heart to us and that we can approach him. If there's only one thing you know about Jesus's heart and about Jesus, know that he's gentle and he's humble. For whatever you might be walking through, know that about his heart, that he tells us that's who he is, that we can approach him time and time again. His promise here is rest for our souls. It's not, he said, a physical rest, but a deeper type of rest that we can have even when we're tired, when we're stressed, when life isn't going the way we had hoped. See, being a follower of Jesus doesn't exclude us from life's challenges. Jesus did not escape the hard life, but he could experience refreshment even in the midst of that. Christians aren't promised um, freedom from illness or calamity, but they may experience God's grace in the midst of it. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians, that we can experience God's grace and not be crushed, not be given over to despair, that those moments where we are feeling at our weakest, we can feel God the most. Now, Jesus says, he uses this picture of a yoke and a yoke was used to to go onto oxen to bind them together so they can pull heavy equipment. The yoke was strong as it had to be strong to pull all of that weight And Jesus says, actually, the yoke I'm giving you is actually a non-yoke. It is not heavy. It is light. It's not a burden. Now, who wouldn't want that type of a yoke? 
Well, the world wants to weigh us down, right? The world is weighing us down. But the religious leaders in his day had all these lists of things that the followers had to do. And Jesus time and time again pushes back on that and tells them, you have got it wrong. That is not the yoke that I bring to people. You know, life kind of might feel like one big heavy yoke right now. You might be doing exactly what God wants you to do, following his will, and yet life is hard. Troubles are here. And we might think about following Jesus as another burden to our day, to our life. And that's the opposite of what Jesus wants you to experience. He wants you to take his yoke upon you to experience his refreshment, his renewal, his rhythm of grace, as Eugene Peterson translate this passage. So this is Jesus's heart. It's gentle and it's humble. And then we see his heart in action in scripture, right? We see where he looks upon the crowd and has compassion. We see him weeping at the death of his friend Lazarus. We see him weeping over the city of Jerusalem as they haven't understood who he was. They've missed who he was. See, Jesus's heart isn't, oh, here you go again. You've messed up. I can't believe you've done that again. You're still struggling with that. I know at different points in my journey with Christ, I've wrestled with that assurance of his nearness, or I've struggled with patience, being a more patient father. I've struggled with anger. And Jesus isn't up there going, oh, I can't believe you've done this again. Really? We're back at this, right? Jesus's deepest impulse is to move towards suffering, not away from it. We see this in his ministry, moving towards pain. So whether you're racked by fear right now of maybe being sent to Penny's Bay or being in the lockdown or getting COVID, or maybe you're struggling with being long distance from family that you can't go and visit, or you're struggling with kids at home and school, Jesus moves towards you in those places of struggle and frustration. How did Jesus respond to the crowds, to those in need? With gentleness with compassion, with his presence. See, he doesn't just meet us in our place of need. He lives in that place of need. He inhabits that place of need with us. That image of the yoke is being connected to him in the very life that we're living. He never tires of moving towards us and embracing us. Do you know that Jesus is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers that he spoke with in his earthly ministry? You know that? See, even though Christ is in heaven now, he has sent his spirit. We are united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. We get to participate in the body of Christ, his church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, through the Holy Spirit, we experience Christ and his heart envelops us. He envelops his people, embraces us, as Dan Ortland says, nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. He's accessible. 
we can experience him right now in this very moment. When I don't experience that, it's usually because I've forgotten about his presence. I haven't slowed down enough. I might be consumed with what's the latest update about COVID, how many blocks are being locked down now, how much is COVID spreading, and I feed my fears versus feeding Christ's presence to me. If I can just slow down, take away some of those inputs, and remember Christ draws near to give him space to allow him to minister, to allow him to love me, to recognize that he is here. So part of glorifying God is recognizing who he is, that God is most clearly seen to us in Jesus. It's also responding to God, recognizing and responding. Now there's lots of ways to respond to God in worship. This very day is a way to respond, right? a way to respond to God's movement towards us. We can connect to God in prayer, in study. But one of the ways I want to talk about today is the realignment of our souls, responding to God, realigning our lives to him. It requires a change in direction. See, when we glorify God, when we love God, it means our hearts and lives are turned away from whatever we're pursuing as the most important thing and towards God and who he is. Now, in Greek, this word is called metanoia. In English, it's called repentance. It's turning from the direction you were headed and turning towards Christ. It's what God invites us into. It's a reordering of our lives. It's a reorientation of our lives. And it isn't easy. It might mean giving up things that are more primary in your heart and in your life than God. Giving up an idol so that you can more clearly see who Jesus is and embrace him and turn towards him. See, when I was early in my faith, repentance was talked a lot about, but it was more transactional. Um, Jesus died for you, so you need to repent and turn towards him. It was more a ticket to heaven. And this was sort of how I encountered it. It was more of a conversion-centered faith where every Sunday at the church I was at, they asked, if you were to die tonight, would you be able to enter heaven? It was this, you better do this or something bad awaits for you. But a better question in a disciple-centered faith is if you knew you would live forever, what kind of person would you like to be? See, transactional versus transformational. Loving God is a new way to live. It's a journey with Jesus in being transformed by him, being forgiven by him, being changed from the inside out by him, becoming more like Christ day by day. That's the journey that he invites us into. So we recognize God, and that's in Jesus so clearly. We respond to him by turning from away from other things and towards him. And finally, we enjoy God. Is that something that's familiar to your language about your relationship and loving God? Loving and enjoying God can be digging into scripture, right? Knowing God intellectually, it can be to admire his beauty, admire his creation. It can be to delight in him 
emotionally. We see this delight in Psalm 37, four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's an invitation to enjoy God, even in, and especially in this moment right now, wherever you might be, to enjoy him and who he is. I didn't have that language of enjoyment um, in the early journeys of my faith. It was more, how can I serve God, right? And that's, that's a good thing. How can I worship him? How can I learn more about him? And all of those are good, but do I enjoy him? Do I want to be with him? Is that my picture of God? Because it's his picture for us. He delights in us. We are his good creation. He pursues us and enjoys us. And he wants the same for us to enjoy that. When we first arrived here um, over 14 years ago now, um, I really had this experience of the church of enjoying their relationship with God and enjoying their relationship with one another in the body of Christ. And that togetherness encourages us to enjoy God and enjoy his church that he calls us into. COVID has made you know, these types of interactions a little bit more challenging, right? But don't give up on it. We're thankful for this technology, right? But we also recognize the limitations of it. We need one another, right? Continue to connect with one another in whatever ways that you can. Connect with God in ways that open up your enjoyment. It might be, how do I enjoy God? It might be this very worship service. It might be your daily times with him. It might be listening to worship music. It might be being in nature, might be riding your bike. That's for me, right? It could be being in the body of Christ, experiencing brothers and sisters in the faith, helping to carry their burdens and they're carrying yours, enjoying a cup of coffee, enjoying a conversation, enjoying a good meal together. Feed your enjoyment, church of God right now, especially. Spend time in that place. Soak it up. It's been a rough, I mean, few years, really, for us all. We can take upon this heavy yoke and be crushed by it. God doesn't want that for you. He wants his yoke. He wants us to not to just invite God. And we were talking about this at council and Kevin said, it's not inviting God to take our yoke. God just helped this to go better, but it's actually taking Christ's yoke, experiences his grace in this season. We all need refreshment and Jesus wants to refresh you right now. Amen? I know I need that. This This Is Us series is also about our values. And each week we're going to hear from people from the congregation about one value. And this week, the value is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. So let's hear from two of our staff right now. Hello. So I've been asked to share about Christ-centered um, a life, a Christ-centered life. And um, I guess the way I do it is by uh, trying to remember three things. Uh, living a rad life, R-A-D, which is reflection, ambition, and direction. 
So for me, one of the things I try to do to live a Christ-centered life is to reflect daily on the things I've done and my thoughts as well, to make sure that everything is um, put together um, so that it's uh, conforming to what Christ asks us to do. So that's the first thing. Uh, I will always review and reflect on um, the things that I have um, done on the day and also the thoughts I've thought as well. The other thing is uh, ambition, um, that we are moving uh, our heart is for Christ and my heart is for Christ. And um, I gave up a career, um, a career in certain things. And um, I was on the rise at that point, but I decided to move in a different direction. And so because of that, I opted to um, give the ambition, um, well, to Christ and therefore to the church. And so I shifted that whole thing. And so. Um, the whole being and the whole heart is for Christ. And finally, is direction, the purpose of um, why we do the things we do. Um, so I think about that a lot, like what is the purpose of this? What, to what direction is this um, action going to take? Uh, and in that way, I always ask myself whether this will glorify Christ, um, whether what I'm doing will glorify Christ, um, be it just um, helping someone on the streets or be it opening a door, or you know, be it trying to figure out higher level process, process stuff and system stuff. Um, so all of that, um, I basically reflect on a lot. And so a rat life, R-A-D, is kind of the thing I always cycle back to, reflections, ambitions, and direction. So yeah, I hope that helps know who and how I do it, but that's how I do it. I like acronyms, so. Good morning, church. My name is Mike, and I just wanted to share uh, what does uh, being Christ-centered mean to me. Personally, I think um, it's about having um, an intimate, unbreakable uh, bond, unconditional bond uh, between you and God through Jesus Christ. So uh, for me, um, it's, it's being able to say that Jesus Christ is not only my savior, but also my best friend and my mentor. Growing up Catholic in a Catholic school, I was very fortunate to know Jesus Christ at a very young age, to be able to uh, know his stories, his uh, miracles, his wonders, and all his glory from birth to resurrection. For a kid at my age, it was like watching my own superhero movie, and it was awesome. And with that, it was easy for me to fall in love with him. It was easy for me to idolize him, so he became my mentor. That eventually I actually had um, form a mantra or kind of like a philosophy that I use up until now in my everyday life, in my family, friends, workplace, in my community, that I always ask myself, what would Jesus do? Of course, I'm not always gonna be able to do the right thing. And um, that's the beauty of having Jesus Christ as a best friend, because um, I never felt judged, never felt less loved, I always feel like I have another chance always to do the right thing. So I pray, hopefully in the future, I would have more hits than misses. 
and hopefully inspire everyone around me to do the same. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Eugene, for sharing about what Christ-centered means to you. I look forward to hearing more stories throughout this series as we talk about our values. This Christ-centered is so important. As we gather on a Sunday or even spread around the city, but as we gather to worship, that's a good thing. And what connects us in our worship? It's not the singing of songs. It's not hearing a sermon, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Those things are not strong enough to connect us. Do I like the music? Do I not like the music? Do I like the sermon or do I not like it? Those are insufficient in connecting us as the body of Christ. What is at the center of our faith? What is at the center of our connection is Christ himself. As a pastor, I love connecting with you, but my job is not to connect you with me. It's to connect you with Christ. He is the giver of life. This is why we do communion each week because Christ is at the center church. He wants to meet us in our place of need. He loves to meet us there. And he has given his life in order for us to meet him and for him to meet us. And he gives us his very life so that we can have life. And communion is a way for us to experience that grace. So in this next song, just receive, soak up what Christ has for you this morning, church. Amen.